You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we continue our study in the book of Malachi. We are calling heavy words from a loving father. With this week's message, here's our senior pastor, Lance Bourgeois. Remember growing up in church, my parents taught four and five-year-old Sunday school for many years. I will tell you that every time I had a creative Sunday school teacher and I got in trouble for talking, they'd say, we're going to send you down to the four and five-year-olds. And so I got sent there a lot. It was a win for me personally. I ended up with the little butter ring cookies on my fingers uh, sitting down there, and it was great. But one of the things I remember my parents telling me stories about was they always knew what was going on in the life of the church because those four and five-year-olds would show up and they would spill the family secrets. Hey, mom's pregnant, but we're not telling anybody yet. Dad got a ticket on the way to church. We had a fight in the car on the way to church, whatever. I'm telling you, if you want to know what's really going on in the life of the church, call Josh Fernberg because he'd love to put you to work in our children's ministry, and then you'll know everything. I found that out myself one Sunday working at a church uh, while I was in seminary down in the Plano area when this family uh, came in. The father was an elder at the church. He had been to the church early that morning. And so the mom comes in. She's been responsible for getting the children ready. There's three of them. Uh, And she comes in a little frazzled, great family, love this family. And she's a little frazzled. And I asked her, I'm like, hey, are you okay? What's going on? And she said, it's been a rough morning. So we're running a little bit late. And I, I said, well, that's great. We're just glad that you're here. And she said, well, I was driving a little fast on the way to church. And I said, okay. And she said, well, that was when my son, four years old, unbuckled himself and got up and was looking over my shoulder and saw the speedometer and saw the speed limit sign and said, hey, mom, I got a question. How do you know which laws you have to obey and which ones you don't have to obey? Now, let that sit there for a second because I would ask you to consider Which laws have you decided that you need to obey and which laws you don't need to obey? We're going to come to this passage today and invite you to turn in the book of Malachi. And we're going to talk about the idea of worship. We've named this series Heavy Words from a Loving Father, and it is, uh, we have heavy words today. They're going to sting. We're going to feel these words. And we're going to hear them from this loving Father. We need to hear these words And so as we move into this, recognizing that when we began this series last week, the first question that was asked was when the Lord said, I love you, and you have said back to me, really? How have you loved us? You've loved us? Now, I don't know if you've ever been there where you said, I'm not sure that this looks like love. Well, the Lord goes through, and Joe led us through this lesson last week where we're talking about the promises of the new covenant, the promises that the Lord has offered and made to you and me, and he's offering these things to help us think through it. So I want to be really clear when we move into this topic today about God's love for you. A book that's had a a great impact on me, author's name was Brennan Manning, and I want us to begin with the idea that we're really clear on God's love for you. Manning writes in the book this, justification by grace through faith is the theologian's learned phrase for what Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton, once called the furious love of God. Now, let's stop for a second because so often the word furious connotates anger and rage. And I know that that's how it generally gets used. At the, at the base of the word, it doesn't mean 
anger, it means something that is without boundaries, something that's relentless, something that's overwhelming. So often it's tied to anger, but the word doesn't have to be tied to anger. And what Chesterton does is he wants to bring us back to this idea of what a love looks like for you and for me that would be characterized by having no boundaries. It is relentless and it is overwhelming. And that's the love that God has. He goes on to say this, God's love is not moody or capricious. He knows no season of change. He has a single relentless stance towards us. He loves us. Now, I want us to take that in deeply because everything we are going to talk about from this point forward, we have to understand the love of God. Because if we miss this point, then this lesson is going to sound harsh. It's heavy. We need to hear it but it comes from a loving father. So when we talk last week about God's love for us, for these people, and you can say, well, it doesn't sound like he loves them today. Know this, God is not moody. He's not capricious. He knows no season of change. He has a single relentless stance towards you and to me, and that is that he loves you and me. And if we miss that, then we're gonna walk away from this passage really, really confused with what the Lord has for us. So with that said, he's going to talk to us about how we enter into worship. He's going to begin with the idea of the priest and confronting the priest and what the priests were doing. And then he's gonna turn around and talk about the impact of the sin of the priest and what that did to their community. So Malachi chapter one, we're gonna start in verse six as we lean into this, what he has for us today, okay? Malachi chapter one, starting in verse Six. Malachi writes this, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If, if then I am a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts, O priest who despise my name. But you say, have we despised your name? Here's his answer, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, have we polluted you? By saying, that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? I don't think we can miss his emotion in that. The law made it really clear is that within structures of hierarchy is that the lower on the structure required respect of the higher on the structure. That's where he begins with parents. He says, if I'm your father, then where's my respect? If I'm your master and you're the servant, then where is the reverential fear that you would have of me? Now, that was so common. I mean, even instinctively, if you're a parent in this room or you're watching us online, you know exactly what this means. If you have a child say to you, what gives you the authority to tell me to clean my room? You know your response. I'm the parent. We have an instinctive knowledge that this is true, and the law certainly supported that. And so when the Lord comes to him, he asks him two rhetorical questions. If I'm your father and I am, then where's my respect that I'm due? If I'm your Lord and I am, then where is this fact of this reverential fear and submission to my rule? He's got a lot of strong thoughts that he wants to offer them, but look at where he goes with it. You're not doing this, O priest who despise my name. 
So we've got a couple of things. We're going to see it later on in this passage too, is we've got something that kind of functions as a light switch. There's no in-between. Right here when he says, despise my name, this is the first of the two, is there's no middle ground. Either you despise my name or you honor my name. There's nothing in between. Either you honor my name or you despise my name. So let's talk about what it means for his name. Because this is more than just saying his name. Even when you say a great name, we would want a great name. We don't mean that you search and scour through a book of names and come up with that. No, we understand that having a great name means it speaks to your character, your attributes, who you are. And that's the same thing when we come to this. And so let's be really clear. When we talk about considering the name of the Lord, he's got a number of attributes that we could talk through. I'll put a few of them up here. I like Charles Ryrie uses the word perfections. It's more than he has the attribute of holiness. He's the perfection of holiness. But we can use attributes if you're, since that's a term that people are more comfortable with. So when he says that you despise the name of the Lord, why don't you honor me as a father? Why is it that you don't honor me as your Lord? And he says, Be, you despise my name. What does that mean? Well, let's talk through this list. When we talk about the eternality of God, it talks of, talks of or speaks of the fact that he exists without beginning and without end. He's always been, he always will be. That's worthy of our honor. His holiness. Holiness means set, set apart or separate. And so when he says, I'm completely holy, I'm completely set apart, there's no one like me. I'm it. I'm immutable. That's a theological word, which means he's unchanging. He has never changed. When we say that he's got no season of change, he's not moody or capricious, if he loved them in last week's section, he still loves them in this section. Why? Because he cannot change. That's who he is. And because he's the perfection of love, there's nothing lacking in his love for Israel or you or me. Omnipotence speaks that he's all-powerful. There's nothing that he can't do. Omnipresence, he's always with you. He's everywhere at all times. Omniscient, he never learns anything. He's all-knowing. He has never been surprised. When you say, I don't know where that came from, I don't know why I responded that way, know this, he already knew you were going to respond that way. He already loves you knowing you're going to respond that way. And you can't change the fact that he loves you. Hear this, be encouraged. Don't, let's not flatter ourselves to think that we can out God's grace. We can't. He's unchanging. He's the perfection of love. And he's sovereign. He sits above all of creation, all of the canopy of all that you and I know exists in this world. And he is sovereign, and he can bring anything about that is in accordance with who he is and his will and every promise he's ever made you. So come back to this. When he says, you despise my name, and he said, how have we despised your name? Lord, no, you're do we're doing what you ask of us behaviorally. I mean, we're doing what you need us to do for you, right? And he's setting up the idea of worship. So let's take a minute. If we're, not, if we're gonna either despise the Lord or honor the Lord, what does it look like when we honor the Lord? I think that when we honor the Lord, that is an opportunity for us to worship. So let's define what worship is because it's not singing a song. Singing a song is a way to worship, but worship is way more than singing a song. Worship, at least for today's purposes, I think that this definition works well for us. It's the believer's celebratory response of enjoying a covenantal fellowship we have with the holy and sovereign Lord God. 
Think with me. If he is all of those characteristics that we just said, and we honor him, it's the recognition that he's eternal, that he's loving, that he does not change. He is for you. He's holy. He's set apart. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's always with you. He's the sovereign God. Now, think with me. If we believe that to be true, do you see why that creates a celebratory response? Because that God who has all of those attributes and perfections is for you. He is leaning in for you. He's protecting you. He loves you. He's working everything together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. How he does that, I don't know. But it's who he is. So the comment that we have to think about when he says, you despise me, and they're like, hey, we're going through the motions. We're doing what you ask of us. And he says, no, you're not. You're not doing what I ask of you. I'm asking you to have a moment where you will recognize who I am and who you are. And when you have a good grasp on who I am and who you are, the natural response for the believer is to celebrate that this God loves us and wants a relationship with us. And it changes the whole way we live our lives. But you guys are missing it. So he says, have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? Well, let's be really clear. If worship is the response for the believer who understands who God is and God's relationship with him, that God longs to live in fellowship with us, if that's what worship is, what he's saying is, look at what you're bringing me. Because he says, behaviorally, you're not honoring me. You're telling me you're honoring me. You're questioning when I bring that charge against you, but look at what you're bringing me. You're bringing me these blind animals and sacrifice. And he says, isn't that evil? When you bring these animals that are lame or sick, isn't that evil? Well, God, that's, that's kind of a bold statement. I mean, is that really evil? Where does that come from? Well, let me show you, show you where this comes from. This is Leviticus 22. The instructions are really, really clear, I think, as we read through this. I invite you to follow along with me. Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted, if it's going to be accepted in accordance with the, what the Lord has said, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow as a freewill offering from a herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering to the altar. Okay? Now, you see any wiggle room in that? If you're going to bring a sacrifice to me, these are the demands. If you're going to worship me, this is how you worship me. If you're going to honor me, then you're going to do what I ask of you. Now go back and look at this verse and tell me when you see verse 8, when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Think with me about when you buy a loved one a gift, a birthday, an anniversary, Christmas present, just because, whatever. You put thought 
into that gift because you want to give them something that communicates your value. It's not the price tag. It may be the price tag. It may be something that because you know them and value them, you give them a unique gift that is unique to them. Think with me if it was some, somebody that you loved and you think, you know what, let me just run into the drugstore on the way to their house and let me just pick up whatever's on that front bin of whatever, and I'm just going to buy them. Like, here, I love you. Here is this great, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure that it's really special to you. Here's the thing. When you and I bring a gift to someone, it's an opportunity for you and I to communicate to the recipient the value that we see in them. This is no different. The opportunity to bring a blind, lame, whatever kind of sick animal to the Lord is communicating to the Lord, I don't have a lot of value in you. I'm giving you a blemished animal. The Lord told them what was expected. They're not doing it. Not only do they disrespect him in giving them such a crummy sacrifice, they dishonor the Lord by not obeying him. Now, here's part two of this gift, is if we're going to understand that it takes an unblemished animal to fulfill the requirement of the sacrifice, I want us to think, New Testament church, what is that pointing us to? That one day that our salvation is going to require an unblemished sacrifice to accomplish our salvation. We may not use the word unblemished very often in this context. What we typically would say is sinless is that if we're going to have a sinless sacrifice accomplish our salvation, then we are pointing forward to the fact that it's going to take the very best of what we have, which is exactly what God did on the cross for you and me. If you have missed that, know this. God is not moody or capricious. He has a single relentless stance towards you, and he loves you. So much so that in our separation from God is there was no behavioral way for us to solve the problem. We were hopeless, the wage of sin is death, and we were eternally lost until there came an unblemished sacrifice, a sinless one who had flesh and bones like you and me, and he walked on this earth and he lived the life of righteousness. And in that, he was able to go to the cross and pay the wage of sin, which is death, but it wasn't his sin, it was our sin. He became our unblemished sacrifice, and he walked out of that grave three days later and offers you and me life on the basis of who he is and what he did. And if you're here this morning and you do not know that, know that he is not moody or capricious. He has a single relentless stance towards you. He loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Their failure to practice what he called them to was even affecting an impact in their capacity to see their need for a savior. It was detrimental to everything about them. When a loving father offers heavy words, it's not because he's trying to be harsh or ugly. It's because he's trying to straighten back a path that needs to be straightened. And they have messed up this whole system. So he offers them something. Look with me, if you would, at verse 9. As we start to look at this, I'm going to tell you, commentators are equally split on this. Is this a legitimate offer? Is this sarcasm? I think that, I mean, you seriously, you can take the commentator and you can split them in half. I will tell you this. I think the sarcasm is offering the solution, but Malachi doubts that they have what it takes and will do what is being asked of them. But I do think that what he offers is the only legitimate path for them. 
Follow along with me if you would. Verse 9. And now, don't wait now in this moment. Don't stay on the path you're on now. We change gears. Entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Sacrificial? I mean, excuse me, sarcasm or legitimate? I think that it's clear that he doesn't think they're going to do it. Legitimate? I absolutely think that it's legitimate. Now, the verb is an imperative. Right now, don't wait. If you and I have been despising the Lord by not recognizing who he is and responding accordingly, if that's our story, we don't stay on this path. Right now, imperative verb, we change direction. And catch what he says. We're going to entreat. We're going to go to the Lord. That's where we take it. When we've been called on our sin, we go to the Lord. And right here, this translation uses the phrase that uh, we pursue his favor. The real word there is face, is that we would entreat the face of God. Why? Because his face is shown to be one of compassion and mercy. You may be familiar with this blessing from Numbers, and the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Because when we come back to this, we can look and say, when you and I get caught in sin, you know what the proper response is? Now, not later, not next week, not I'm already in this, in this mode, I'm already, I've already messed this up, let me just stay here. No, we don't do that. And now, right now, in the moment that you become aware of your sin, we entreat, we go to the Lord, and we seek his face. Why? Because the Lord will make his face to shine upon us. He's the one who's gracious. And so that's our calling. That's how we step into that. But I think that when he looks around and says, with such a gift from your hand. Well, if it's sarcasm, he's saying, you know what gift you've been bringing? You've been bringing worthless sacrifices. You're acting like, oh, this is a big deal. You, I'm bringing my blind, lame uh, sheep to you. And you're like, oh, yeah, big deal. That's really costing you something. Or if you take it as a legitimate offer, imagine coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, here's the gift of my hands. You're right. I've not honored you. I have totally messed this thing up. And for that, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And we entreat his favor or his face. That's the calling, I think, that's there. Now, I will tell you that when you look at verse 10, I don't think that Malachi expects that they're going to respond. Look at what he says. Oh, that there was one among you who had just shut the doors. I think it's really clear that part of what the Lord wants for us in this moment is that we would look up and say, you know what? If we think fake worship, not obeying the Lord, not doing what he asks of us, of bringing a worthless sacrifice to him is worth something, the Lord's take is, you know what? Don't even light up the fire. Matter of fact, just shut the door. You know what? Not only shut the doors, lock the doors and just walk away from it. Save yourself the trouble because you're not honoring me. So if you're not honoring me, there's no middle ground. If you're not honoring me, light switch, you're despising me. So why would you go through the motions of coming into my house to despise me, 
You can despise me from anywhere. Why would you come into this building to do that? See, they're really heavy words. And he wants somebody to just lock the door. I have no pleasure in you, and I will not accept this offering from your hand. Where does that leave us? Where's the hope? What's going to happen? I mean, if we lock the doors, we just walk away from it all, what do we do? Well, here's your hope. Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun to, it, to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place. My name, it will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. You know, when Jesus is coming into the city for uh, what leads up to his triumphal entry, heading towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday, as we read this, the crowds are cheering, it's loud, the Pharisees are bothered, the Pharisees reach out to Jesus, and teacher, rebuke your disciple. They're too loud, this is out of control. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they were silent, if the people said nothing, the stones would cry out to me. Even the stones know who I am. You want to silence them? I, the world will not be silenced. The world will worship me. Matter of fact, we see it in Psalm 113, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord will be praised. From the rising of the sun and in the east to the setting of the sun in the west, everywhere in between, day and night, the sun is always shining somewhere on our planet. The Lord's name will be praised. Israel, if you're not going to do that, that doesn't mean that there's no praise for me. It just means you're not the one praising me. I'm taking this message global, and the world will know who I am. And all of a sudden, we start seeing it. So does that happen? Well, Acts 1, this is after the resurrection, when it says, when Jesus is telling his followers, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's the day of Pentecost, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be, if you don't know geography, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This message is going global. The world will know me because I'm the Savior of the world. I am the one who is holy. I'm the one who's eternal. I'm the one who doesn't change. I'm the perfection of love. I'm the perfection of power and knowledge and everything else. And just because you don't offer me what is due to me as your father and as your master doesn't mean that I'm shutting this down, nor can you control this. The world will know who I am, and I'm going out to go bring that. But he says, verse 12, but you profane it. Profane means to make something common or ordinary. It's no longer distinctive. It's not unique. There's no value to it. It's common. It's ordinary. But you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring me what's been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as an offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am the great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. You've taken something that was supposed to be unique and you've made it common and ordinary. You've taken me from my lofty status for who I am, and you've made me just like everybody else that I would settle for this? I'm worthy to be worshipped. I'm worthy to be treated in such a great way. Even that statement, I, I skipped over it a minute ago, where he's, he's talking about, would you do this with your governor? You wouldn't offer your earthly governor something of no value. Imagine this. 
This year, when you pay your taxes, send them Monopoly money and see how that goes for you. It's not going to go very well. It's not going to go very well. And the Lord is saying, you've made it profane. You don't honor me. You don't even care. You're offering me worthless stuff. Matter of fact, you bring what's been taken by violencers, lame or sick. Some level, that violence thing makes me think about roadkill. Oh, yeah, how great. This is our gift. This is the value we place in you, something that doesn't have any value. Shall I accept that from your hand? Says the Lord, cursed be the cheat. Here's our second light switch. First light switch was either you're going to honor me or you're going to despise me. Here's your second light switch. is either you will be blessed or you will be cursed. There's no in-between. Because when we talk about it in this context, that the opposite of that curse would be blessed, is that we're under the blessings of the Lord. We're under his divine protection and we're under his divine provision, spiritually, physically, emotionally. If he says you're cursed, it means we're over here. We're no longer under his divine protection of blessing. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you anymore. How do I know? He's the perfection of love and he doesn't change. He can't change. And he cannot not love you. So it's our light switch, right? You either honor me or you despise me. You're either in blessing or you're cursed. But the curse means the removal of that divine protection or blessing. But here he says, you know what? If you have a better animal to sacrifice and you make a vow to it and then you bring me something less, yeah. You're out from underneath my divine protection and the consequences that attend it. The words are that strong. And again, we come back to the idea that he says, I will be honored among the nations. This is the impact of their ministry. How has it made, what has it done to everybody else? Look with me at chapter two, verse one. And now, O priest, this command is for you. You spiritual leaders who have been leading people astray, you're not honoring me, you're despising me, you are in this, this is the way you're living your life, you have shown, you have modeled something that is so false, it's worthless, and it's had impact on other people. So here's what he has to say to the priests. And I'm about to tell you, if you've never read these verses, it's about to get really graphic, okay? It's shocking even. Here we go. Malachi 2, verse 2. If you will not listen... If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I've sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Anybody missing his emotion in this? You've led my people astray. And it has huge consequences when you lead people astray. And what you're doing is wrong. You're not giving me honor. And so I'm going to send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. So what's happened is light switch. It's either a blessing or it's a curse. Here's what's happening. We've been here. We're moving it here. It's going to be out from underneath my divine protection. Matter of fact, right now, the things that you're enjoying, I've actually already removed those things from my divine protection. What have they enjoyed? Well, let me tell you what they enjoyed. 
These people had the blessing of being able to teach the Scriptures, to lead people in worship, to point people to to their Savior, to point people to God, to bring them into obedience, to bring them into a relationship with the Lord, and to pronounce, and the ability to pronounce upon them the forgiveness that God has for them and wants for them. And yet he says, you guys are walking away from all of that. Because these priestly lines were a lineage. He says, you know what? This rebuke means to change course. We're going to change course. The family line had been that y'all were the priests. No more, because this this priestly line is worthless. And so we're going to walk away. We're going to change gears here, and we're going to go down a different path, because this thing has gotten so messed up. It's become ordinary. They've lost a sense of what they were doing. So I'm going to rebuke your offspring. And then we get to that graphic part. I think it's graphic and I think it's figurative. See, when the priests would offer the sacrifices, they'd be in their white priestly garments. And when they would offer the sacrifice, that which was unclean, their entrails, they would remove and they would carry the entrails outside uh, the, the area and then they would burn them. It was unclean and you couldn't have the unclean there. So you remove the unclean, you go deal with the unclean. And obviously, it would have been on the priests on their clothes as they were walking out with it. And the imagery is so stark as the Lord says, you know what? You priests, with what you're doing, you're as unclean as the entrails that you're cleaning out. So when you go outside the town and you go to burn that, you just stay out there because you've lost the ability to be my person to represent me in this world. You look too much like the unclean. His imagery is very stark. Here's why I think it's figurative, because he's not moody or capricious, and he knows no season of change. He has a single relentless stance towards them. He loves them, because he's the perfection of love, and he doesn't change. Is he disgusted by what they've done? Yes, he's disgusted by what they've done. That's why I think that other verse is a legitimate offer to entreat the face of God so that he can bring them back into relationship. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I've made such a mess of my life, I know what that feels like, know this. He knows no season of change. He loves you and he wants a relationship with you. He's still the perfection of love and that doesn't change ever. He knows all things about you. He's not surprised by your sin or your failure. He keeps coming back to you. That's why I think this is figurative. I think he's trying to create a word picture. You have sullied yourself in this. Why do we have to address it? Here's why it has to be addressed. Verse five, my covenant with Levi with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me, and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of the priest shall guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. See how strong that was? I raised up this priesthood, to be a voice of of truth and honor and wisdom to lead my people in ways that I would lead them. This priest is to be a reflection of who I am. And with what you guys have done, I rebuke this line. We're changing this priesthood line. We're abandoning this thing. But we're not abandoning the priesthood because what I created for Levi to do is still necessary in this world. We're not walking away from it What we're changing is the family line because I need priests who will go back to this moment. 
I need somebody that will stand up for me and will offer instruction that there's no wrong found in his lips, that he lives in peace and uprightness, turning people from iniquity. That's what he says I want. My system was fine. The implementation of the priest is where this got in trouble. So we're not doing away with what I created. We're doing away with the poor execution of it. And so all of a sudden, but you've turned aside from this way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, said the Lord of hosts. And so I will make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but you show partiality in your instruction. Not only that, priest, but every person is made in my image. And at the foot of the cross, we're all equals. And you're showing partiality, which means you act on my behalf. And then people may think that I have favorites. I don't have favorites. I have died that all may come to faith. I want everybody to come to salvation. That's my heart. And you're showing partiality. That's how screwed up you made this thing. See, these are heavy words, and they needed to be said. They needed to be said. Well, what about them? Well, I mean, this is kind of rotten. Let me tell you. Numbers 18 tells us what could have happened and what the law dictated. You shall bear no sin by reason of it when you have contributed to the best. But you shall not profane. That's our word, common, ordinary. Remove the uniqueness of it. The holy things of the people of Israel, lest you die. You see how serious the Lord took it? You want to honor me or you want to despise me? You want to make your worship ritualistic and drudgery? Because he looked up and he said, you guys act like I'm asking so much of you. You've made you so weary. And if we're honest, there have been times where you and I look at him like, oh, Lord, do you really want me to do that? You want me to step into this? The Lord says, yeah, I want you to trust me in this. Do you believe the, the name of who I am? Do you believe that I have all those attributes, all those perfections are me? Because if you do, then what's the risk? What's the risk of offering the very best animal in your herd as a sacrifice to me? What's the risk? I gave you the animal the first time. You don't think I can do it again? So honor me and watch me bless you. But he still gives them another chance. He still gives them a chance. My little friend, what laws do we have to obey? Imagine this, I've got a four-year-old child at the time and I go into my child's room and I said, the room's a disaster and I say, I want you to clean your room. If they say, why? Guess what I'm gonna say? Because I'm the parent and I told you to clean your room. Give me the respect I'm due. Call me when the room's clean. A little bit later, hey, dad, room's clean. And you go back there and you're like, it looks like it's clean. Let me lift up that bed skirt. And there it all is. Everything's shoved under the bed. I ask you, if I asked him to clean the room, did I ask him to give me the appearance of a clean room? Or did I ask for a clean room? Did they honor me in shoving everything under the bed? Or did they dishonor what, the heart of what I was asking for? Because I think what God's asking for is the heart that says... I want to do what you ask of me. I will bring you my very best because I recognize who you are. And the fact that you want to have a relationship with me is worth everything I have. I will hold nothing back. 
So what laws do we have to obey? Well, know this. Jesus tells us he didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. He didn't come to do that. He fulfilled them. So we don't have a law to follow. But the question remains, do we want to bring the Lord the best of what we have? Paul tells us in Romans this, Brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. How do we do that? Here's where I think it begins. It begins with the fact that we consider the name of the Lord. And as you read all of those characteristics about him, that you and I would recognize this is who our God is. He is not common, which is why our worship cannot be profane. He is utterly unique, and he is for you. And he's entered into a covenant relationship with you because he wants to have a relationship with you. This is the opportunity. And when we begin to have that, then we might ask a question. If worship is the celebration of our enjoyment of the Lord, then I would ask you, when you worship, do you come into worship more than song, just more than a worship service here on this campus or watching us online? This is not that. How do we live our lives? Is our life of worship, one of drudgery and ritualistic behaviors? Or is it a celebration and enjoyment that the Lord is for you and with you and working in your behalf? It'll change the whole way we live if we're willing to lean into that. That's the gift of our Lord. And that's what we've been called to in this life. May we never fall into the trap of profane worship. The Lord says, don't even bring that you keep that stuff. And if all we're going to do is offer profane, just lock the doors. Don't even fire up the altar. Just walk away from it. But when we come together as the people of God, let's enter into this with a celebration and the reality that our good God is at work on our behalf at every moment of every day. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He is at work with a single relentless stance. He loves us. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.